says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you may be seated at this time. So we are in a series together on lifting up our low view of God. And we've been looking at such light topics as uh, the, the Trinity and the um, self-existence of God that last week God exists in and of himself. Today, we look at the topic of the self-sufficiency of God as we're looking to lift our view of God higher and higher because when we have a high view of God, not a, a low view, one that is, makes God just kind of like us, but when we have a high view of God as he reveals himself in the scriptures and in creation and through the person of Jesus, that's where our worship gets elevated. That's where we stand in awe and wonder at his majesty and at his greatness. Uh, that's where uh, repentance becomes just a natural thing, not because, oh, I got to stop doing this. It's like, oh, in view of who God is, oh, this is where I, this is who I want to become. And Jesus then has the, the opportunity by his spirit to change us and to make us more uh, like him. And this is where hunger for prayer and desire, it's where the, the ought to's, oh, I ought to go to church. I ought to read the Bible. I ought to pray. I ought to serve. I ought to share the gospel. Uh, become, I can't help but it becomes the natural response when we have a high view of God. So today, the self-sufficiency of God. Uh, an author by the name of Brian Cosby wrote an article for the Gospel Reformation Network back in 2018, and he recounted how he and his wife, they purchased a house in Atlanta, Georgia. And despite the house being a larger house in a nice neighborhood, it was what the realtor who sold it to them called a handyman special. It needed some serious TLC, tender, loving care. And the fact that dogs used to, quote unquote, mark their territory and cigarette smoke seemed to hang around like an unwanted guest, it made his wife initially refuse the deal, but he assured her even though he had zero experience in the handyman department, that he would wow her with, her ama- with his amazing carpentry skills. And off they went, paintbrush in hand at all, and all. 
Trips to the local Home Depot soon, became to drain, soon began to drain his bank account. And the items that needed repairing were like God's mercies. They were new every morning. But Home Depot's advertisement on the radio and television gave him the confidence that he needed to get the job done. Say it with me if you know it. You can do it. We can help guess we don't have that many Home Depot fans. Okay, that's fun. That's fun. You know, when it, with a low view of God, the church can easily shift its theology. We can shift our theology to a Home Depot kind of message. You can do it, and God can help. As if you and I are self-sufficient, as, as if we're the self-sufficient ones, and we just need a little divine pixie dust to like get us over the hump. Standing starkly in the face of that idea is the reality of the self-sufficiency of God. Closely connected to the idea of last week, the self-existence of God, this concept reminds us that God needs no one and he needs no thing. He is completely self-sufficient in and of himself. We've been taking some of the themes of this series from the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, from A.W. Tozer. And Tozer writes this. It's several paragraphs, so I put it up there so you could follow along as I would read it. But Tozer said, The Father hath, and this is, you know, older language, so the Father has life in himself. That's John 5, 26 that you might see in your bulletin. It's scripture. Said our Lord, said Jesus. And it's characteristic of his teaching that he thus, in a brief sentence, sets forth truth so lofty as to transcend the highest reaches of human thought. God, he said, is self-sufficient. He is what he is in himself. In the final meaning of those words. Whatever God is and all that God is, he is in himself. All life is in and from God. Whether it be the lowest form of unconscious life or the highly self-conscious, intelligent life of a seraph, which is an angel. No creature has life in itself. All life is a gift from God. The life of God, conversely, is not a gift from another. Were there another from whom God could receive the gift of life, or indeed any gift, whatever, that other would be God, in fact. And then he boils it down to this. An elementary but correct way to think of God is as the one who contains all, who gives all that is given, but who himself can receive nothing that he has not first given. So think, that definition is good. He contains everything. He is God. He gives all that has ever been given, but he cannot receive anything back than what he has already first given. It's the self-sufficiency of God. This is who God is. And so this morning, Paul talks about this. 
He's in Athens, what we read this morning in Acts chapter 17. He's in Athens and he's sharing the gospel. He's in the midst of a place that believed in many, many, many different gods. And he was trying to be able to share who Jesus was in the midst of all of these different ideas of who God is. And as he was walking through the city, he came upon idols of all the gods that they worshipped. And there was one god. There was one idol that was named to an unknown god. They had all these ideas of who God was, and they, but they didn't want to miss one. <laughs> and so Paul goes about the whole process of letting them know who the unknown god is. And that the unknown god is the only god and the all-sufficient god. So this morning, as we think about this idea of the self-sufficient God. Look through three thoughts. Two that would help us to understand who God is, who we are, and then way to respond back to him. To give back what he has already given. So the first thought. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. If you're a note taker, you can use that. There'll be some extra notes up on the screen. The first thought is this. That God needs nothing. God needs nothing. God needs nothing for three reasons that Paul lays out here. He needs nothing first because he is the creator of the world. He's the creator of the world. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of both heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. God made the world and everything in it. He is the creator of all things. And not only is he the creator of all things, he is the Lord of it, which means he is the ruler of it. He owns all of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24, 1 says. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. Because to live in a temple built by human hands would be to constrict himself to who he is. He's bigger than anything that humanity can ever build because he is the creator of the world. God needs nothing because he's the creator of the world. He needs nothing also because he is the giver of life and breath. Verse 25, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He's the giver of life, breath, And everything else that men and women and young men and young women and boys and girls will ever have and need. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed something, Paul says. God is the giver of life and the giver of breath. He does not need anything. This is a humbling reality, but... The truth of this is that God doesn't need me. (laughs) He doesn't need you. He just doesn't need us. He created us. Sometimes we have this idea, you know, that whole Home Depot thing. You can do it. God can help. That he's here so that we can accomplish our stuff. Or that God is this needy being that he created us because, oh, God needed stuff. He needed people. He needed worship. So what does he do? He creates people. And it's us. And so if we don't give God 
worship, we don't give him love, we don't serve him, then God's going to be like, oh no, my self-esteem has just dropped because they haven't given me what I need. The humbling reality, but yet the reality of God as the self-sufficient one is whether you worship him or I worship him or not, he still is getting his worship. Whether you love him or I love him, he's still perfectly fine. As Leah prayed this morning, he's in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity. He doesn't need us. He's already perfectly satisfied. He's perfectly self-sufficient. If we don't love him in return, he's not like, oh no, what am I going to do? He doesn't need us. And he's going to accomplish his purposes on this earth, whether you and I are on mission or not. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to bring his kingdom to this earth. Not because of us, because he needs nothing. God needs nothing, thirdly, because he's the determiner of all things. Verse 26, from one man, speaking of Adam, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. From Adam, he made every nation, every people group on the face of the earth through all of human history, and he determined where and when and why they were to be there. Because he is free from needing us, he's free to determine where and when and why we are where we are. Now this may sound like, oh man, God, I don't know about, this kind of makes me feel a little uneasy. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need me. Then why? What makes me anything of value? Here's where our value comes from. Because the God who doesn't need us in love chose to create you. In his image and his likeness, he chose, not because he was needy and desperate, but because he chose in his good pleasure, in his good love, before the foundation of time to say, I will create and I choose to lavish my love on this creation. And not just all of humanity, but each one individually. He knows you by name before creation ever exists. He knew you. (laughs) I mean, if that doesn't give you value, if that doesn't fill your heart with worth and wonder, there's not much that's going to. (laughs) You're going to keep searching because the God of creation didn't need you, but he chose you. He chose to create you in his image and likeness, and he chose to pour out his love upon you through the person of Jesus Christ. What wonder, what amazement that the God who needs nothing still says, I choose you, I create you, I love you. So it's necessary for us to understand this because it brings us to the second thought, and that is that God needs nothing, but mankind, humankind, needs God. We need God. In verses 27 and 28, 
God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. We'll come back to that in a moment. For in him, we live and move and have our being. Paul says to these Greek listeners, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Mankind, humankind, we need God because our existence depends on him. Our existence depends on him. In him, we live. And in him we have our being. He's our creator and he's our sustainer. He's our life and our very being. He's the, the reason that uh, the core of who we are even exists. We are dependent on him. We would not be here this morning. We would not have all the wondrous experiences that we have had in this life. We would not have families. We would not have husbands and wives and children and grandchildren We would not have legacies. We would not have jobs. We would not have all these things if it wasn't for God. We are here because of God. And so we depend on him. Our existence, our very existence, being here and continuing to be here depends on him. And also our animation depends on him. Our movement. In him we live and move. Our movement depends on him. Our ability to produce things, to create things to work, to play, to socialize, to travel, to even go and get the groceries. It's all dependent on him. Some of you may be thinking, okay, God needs nothing. We need him. But what about the people who don't depend on him at all? What about the people who say, yeah, I don't even know if I believe in God. What about... You and I, and I would be the first to say that I don't live in every moment of recognizing my need of God. I get on my way, I go, I do my thing, I get busy doing stuff. There are those times that pride rises up within me and I'm like, hey, look what I did. What about those times? Does that mean that somehow I'm living independent of God, that I don't need God? Not at all. It just means this that whether I recognize it or not, his grace is sustaining me. His grace is sustaining you. His grace is sustaining even the person who doesn't even believe he exists. It's his grace. It's his presence. It's his mercies that are new every morning, that are poured out, that are enabling you to exist and to move through life. See, because if it was up to me and my, oh God, I depend on you, for him then to give me what I need, who's this whole thing dependent on? It's dependent on me. But whether I ever acknowledge or not that I need God, I need him. And whether or not I ever acknowledge God and my dependence and my need on him or not, it does not change the fact that he is completely self-sufficient in and of himself and that he doesn't need me. And yet he still pours out his grace. He still pours out his mercy. He still pours out all that we need to live and to move and to have our being. As his offspring, we desperately need him. And so... I already said that he's going 
to, he's sustaining us and he doesn't need us, but what can we do? How do we keep this reality that God doesn't need us, God needs nothing, but we need God? How can we keep this reality in focus? How can we allow this reality to lift our view of him? How can we allow it to drive dependence on him and awareness of him and love of him? How do we do that? Because it really is our opportunity to recognize. I believe Paul's invitation to those in this passage that we're listening is our application response in three ways. We respond in three ways. The first is seek, reach, and find. We respond to the God who needs nothing and the in us who need him by seeking, reaching, and finding. I said we would come back to verse 27. God did this. So the men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. We're reminded that God placed every person, every nation, every people group, where he intended them to be, when they intended, when he intended them, so that they might seek him, reach for him, and find him. And here's the good news. God says he's not far. And when we think of far, I'm thinking my family right now is is in the middle of the state on a little trip. And so they're far away from me. They're like two and a half hour drive. They're far from me when I think of far. But when the, the Bible is talking here about far, it's talking about space and it's actually talking about he is present. He is near. That God's not like up in heaven, far off. That he is, he's not far off. He is literally present. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It is at hand. It is right in your midst. So seek, reach, find. Don't like go out there for God. He's come to us in the person of Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, Jesus is in the room. He's here with us. And he's always been with you. Whether you recognized his presence or not, Jesus has always been with you. In the greatest of your moments, Jesus was with you. In the everyday mundane, Jesus was with you. And in the deepest, darkest valleys, Jesus was with you. He's there. And so his response, our response, is simply just to come. You know, sometimes we think you've got to come after God, and there are seasons of your life where you're like, I am so excited about God, and you're like running with all your energy. I mean, you're like pouring over scripture. Like, if there are church services, you're there. If there are prayer meetings, like, I cannot not be there. I got to be there. Like, if there are small group meetings, you're there. If there are things on the radio, you're like, your music is K-Love or whatever all the time. You're just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to go after it. You're like hungry. You're desperate. You're like, I can't get enough of God. It's so good. And so you're like running with all your energy. 
Then there are other times that you're just beat up. And you've had disappointments, and you've had struggles, and you've had loss, and there's grief, and there's worry, and anxiety, and there's all these things. And you're like, oh, I just feel like I'm collapsing. I don't feel like I have anything to, to seek God, to reach God, to find God. I don't think there's anything in me right now to go after him. If it's dependent on me, I'm in trouble. Whether you've got all the energy in the world or whether you're broken and desperate and don't feel like you have anything, all it takes is that simple desperate prayer, I need you. I want you. And the God who is not far off <laughs> loves to hear that cry. Because he doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need your perfect effort. He doesn't need your perfect passion, your perfect hunger, your perfect desperation. He just needs, God, I need you. And even if you can barely whisper it, even if it's filled with doubt sometimes, just, just to, to come. To come. And just know this. In the seeking, in the reaching, in the finding... You are where you are on purpose. Because what he said, he did this so that humanity would seek him and reach out for him and find him. Determine the places that you would inhabit, that you would live. We were at a conference, some of us, on, on Friday, and like we were talking about why people move different places. And one of the things was, oh, there's great schools. And you may have moved, or you may know someone who moved to this area because, oh, I want to buy a house there because the schools are good. And I want my kids in a good place. Or you may have moved or you have, may have come because your family's nearby. Or the season of life has changed. Or you always lived here where you are. I want you to know none of that is by accident. God determined and has you in the place that you, ha- you are and has you here this morning or has you listening this morning on purpose? Because the God who is perfectly self-sufficient knows that we need him has allowed the things of your life to come so that you might seek and reach and find him. And he's not far off. He's near. We respond, secondly, with worship. What we did this morning in singing those songs, we weren't just singing them, we were singing. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being, God, is like gold or silver or stone in an image made by man's design and skill. So much speaks to the reality that human beings have been looking throughout all of history to fill a deep need that we have been made with, and that is to worship something. And so whether it was golden images or stone images or wood images, or whether it's our children or 
significance through a job or money or power or possessions or what others think of us. We all are looking for something and we ascribe worth to something thinking that it will somehow feed us. And all of these things that are created and that we may turn to are empty because they're not the self-sufficient one. We were created to give back worship to the one who created us. And again, not because he needs our worship, but because our response is to give back to him what he has given to us. There's a song, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. Our lives that we give, or our lives that we have, Paul says in Romans 12.1, in view of God's mercy to us, offer yourselves back to him as a living sacrifice, worship, holy, and pleasing. The all-sufficient one doesn't need this worship. He's going to get it. And even we sang this morning, if I don't praise you, the rocks are going to cry out. And in that passage, I didn't read all the way to the end this morning on Palm Sunday passage, the Pharisees were mad at Jesus. Oh, Jesus, why are you letting these people worship you? He says, if they don't worship me, the rocks are going to cry out. He's going to get his worship. But our privilege is to respond with what he has given to us to turn it all back to him. The blessings that he has given to us to turn it all back to him in worship. What do you give the person that doesn't need anything? (laughs) You just give back. Thank you. Worship. You're worthy. You're worthy. My parents kind of ran into this a little bit. As they've gotten older, they've decided, and I've shared a little bit about the Christmas present that they want from my family and my brother's family and my sister's family. They don't want gifts because they're like, we don't need anything. There's nothing that we want. And so what they've asked of us is that we would take a year and we would reflect on it and we would write all of the blessings that God has poured out upon us. And that we would document those and send them to them and they just put them in this book with pictures of all the family in that past year as a way of being able to say, you know, we don't need anything But what we would love to be able to see is what God has done, how God has blessed, what God has given, how God has worked, and to give glory back to him. And that's all he asks of us. He doesn't need anything from us. It's just ours. In light of all that you've done, in light of who you are, in light of the blessings that you've poured out, the mercies, we give worship back to you. You're worthy. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Father. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We worship you. And then we respond, lastly, through faith in Christ. We see in this passage, in the past, verse 30, God overlooked such ignorance, the ignorance of idols and not looking to him. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from idols and to turn from these created things to the all-sufficient God. For he set a day when he will judge the world. 
with justice by the man he has appointed. And that man is Jesus. God who has come in the flesh. And he has given proof that he is who he says he is to all humanity by raising him from the dead. This Sunday, we celebrate Jesus, the King. On Friday, we reflect upon the one Jesus who gave his life, who took our sin upon himself and the punishment that should be ours upon himself. The death spiritually that we should die in separation from God for eternity in hell. He took all of that upon himself. And on Sunday, a week from the day, we will celebrate and we will exhibit our faith in Christ that he is the one who is the judge of all the world, but he's a good judge because he has come that we would not be condemned, but that we would have life. And God proved that he is who he says he is by raising Jesus from the dead. That all who would turn away from all the things that we trust in and turn fully to Jesus, that we would be forgiven, that we would be saved, that we would find life in him. And so we give him our worship. We place our faith in him. And with whatever amount we have, even with faith, Jesus says it's not about how much faith you have. It's just even a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds. If you have just that much. Because your salvation, God's work in your life is not dependent on how much faith you have because that would mean it's dependent on who? Me. But it's just, do we have any faith and we turn it to him because he's the all-sufficient one? That means I don't have to be. And that's good news, isn't it? I don't have to be, because he is. So we want to close this morning by ascribing our worship to God. And even in worship, we are able just to say, I'm coming to you, I'm seeking you, I'm exhibiting my faith in you, even if it's just a little bit. And for some of you, you may sing, we're going to sing crown him with many crowns here on Palm Sunday. Some of you may, may bellow this thing out with faith just rising and celebration and worship coming from deep. And others of you may just say, oh, okay, I crown you. Some of you may not even be able to sing the words. But in your heart, you're like, yes, I agree. I agree. And you know what? God has put you where you're at for such a time as this so that you might seek, reach, and find him. So bring what you have. Offer it to him this morning. To the self-sufficient God. He receives it, and he receives it with joy. So, Father, we do ask that you would, we know you will, you will receive the worship and the praise that we give to you. God, I thank you that none of us here on this earth, none of us here in this space,
none of us watching now or through the week, none of us are hearing this by accident. All that you do has purpose. And so God, I pray your grace to be poured out that we would respond with yes, we seek, we reach. Knowing that you long and you desire to be found. You're not a God who hides from us and you're not a God who is far off from us. You're not afraid of our sin. You're not afraid of our shame. You're not ashamed, you're not afraid of where we are or where we've been, where we've been. You're with us. So we reach out to you this morning. In faith, in Christ, we offer you our worship. You are the self-sufficient God. And we acknowledge you as such as we depend on you. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We crown you with many crowns this morning.